You're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. Now here's your host, Chris McPherson. It should actually be the first place in the NFC East edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. That's beautiful. Sounds yes. beautiful. Just sounds amazing. What a difference a couple weeks make. From the standpoint of, I go back to week two, the Eagles lost the Monday night game, the opener in Atlanta, and we came in to do the podcast the next day, and we're dragging late night. You know, I was a road game. Alex, you were you were flying back from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. We're all here late, and it's the next day you just, you're mad about the loss, you're tired, you're cranky. Like, there was just no juice for that podcast, okay? The it day was, after a loss, there's just nothing right with the world. It's... It was like the LeVon Kirkland uh, 2002 middle linebacker season edition of the Eagles entire pocket. Just nothing. There's nothing there. Man, right for the throat. And uh, <laughs> but it's just so it's, to me, at least I feel a million times better coming off the game last night. Oh yeah, a 27 to seven win over the New York Football Giants. Uh, again, that's Alex Smith. If you haven't already realized. Hello everyone. Fran Duffy. Hey guys. The house. Chris Stevens on the ones and twos, producing behind the scenes, making the magic happen. Uh, fellas, how, I love how, how do you, you guys say Chris feel? Stevens and the applause abruptly ends. <laughs> <laughs> that's on him. That's on yeah, him. He's, he's, so. he's the one doing it. So. That's right. He has no one to blame but himself. Uh, how do you feel, gentlemen? Uh, it's great. You know, obviously, it's like you said. The, it always feels better after a win when you get those those late night wins. So, mm-hmm. look, it's it's one of those things where it's first place, but you have an undefeated team coming uh, next up on the schedule. So, yeah. very tough test. Alex and I will touch on them coming up here in enemy intel. But very very interesting team, fun team to watch in the Carolina Panthers. But look, the the win over the Giants was huge. To get a win like that when you clearly were not playing your best football at least on the offensive side of the ball. It's good to have because, you know, you can always say, okay, now if we if we fix this, this, and this, we win by 40 points instead of 20, mm-hmm. and it's a runaway victory. So I'm very happy with the win. There's a lot of fans who I think are upset by the win because they saw it. If you see the score, you're like, wow, Eagles really handed it to them. All black uniforms, a black and blue beating of the Giants, you know, 20-point win, division rival, first place on the line. Wow, they stepped up big time, prime time. But I think a lot of fans who watch the game are kind of like, look, that game wasn't pretty early on. Defense allowed the opening drive. Giants were able to march down. Odell Beckham got the touchdown. Eagles offense goes three and out. Giants were marching down again. If it wasn't for D'Amico Ryan stripping Larry Donnell the ball to get the interception, Giants could have been up 10-0, 14-0, and they could have been rolling. But they turned things around, and as Fran said, it's good the fact that you can look at their performance and say, hey, they, they won by 20, but there's still room for improvement. I always find it interesting when fans are upset after a win. Wins are tough in this league, but I think the frustration comes from the fact that we still haven't seen this team put together that full game. And every week on the podcast, even after the wins, we keep talking about when they put it all together, what the offense is going to look like, you know, how many yards, how many points they're going to put up. And we just haven't seen them click fully yet and now we're six weeks into the season and we're still kind of looking for that but at the same time a 20 point win in prime time first place albeit only six games into the season first place is first place after a one and three start when the sky was falling and people thought the season was over so you know but I think it's it's just a little bit frustrating that we're still waiting and still you know seeing what this will all look like when it all comes together well is there such thing as a perfect 60 minute game maybe that's a unicorn it's it's rare it's you know, rare that's what i mean it's we all think that they can do it the one i could think of was that that sunday night win against the, the Bears. Ch- chicago yeah. that's exactly what i was thinking too that was a big one 50, couple years ago. 50 oh it was a weird one it was, it was a, like 51 50, 53 to 11 right 
It was, like it was the, first... the only time that score had ever been yes, the that's final right. score of an NFL game. It was something bizarre. I think something it was weird. Fifty two to eleven or something like that. Yeah. But um It was in the fifties. They put up a fifty burger. Well, what did the Eagles put up on Carolina last year? Right. On Monday night. Forty five no burger, right? Yeah. So I'm not expecting that performance. I'm not trying to say, oh, one year later they're gonna do the same thing. Two different teams still, you know, you got to see a little bit of it last year, but I know I every week you keep saying that. Well when when they put it all together, mm-hmm. well, you know, we're six weeks into the season, six games in, you know, there's gonna be some inconsistencies. I don't sure. know if you're gonna see a full four quarter performance. That Bears game was fifty four to eleven, by the way. There you go. Thank 54 you. Fifty four to eleven. Alex Smith, research department. Stats only. Stats only. Exactly. Should be the <laughs> Check guy it out that. right here. PhiladelphiaEagles.com. So, come up on the program. We'll have the interview. Uh, as we're filming this on Tuesday, day following the game, I don't know who the guest is going to be. And most weeks, I'll give you a peek into the curtain. I usually don't know who the guest <laughs> will be. Usually I have a couple of requests out there, and we'll see what happens. So, that's why there's a generic tease. I think there's inside. There's, I think there's inside baseball, and then there's too much inside. Yeah, baseball. that's probably. You may have crossed it. that line. I may have crossed the line. <laughs> we don't yeah. know what we're doing. Yeah, I mean the players are in for meetings, but you know that's why we film most of the podcast on Tuesday this week, and you know we'll do the uh, last bits on uh, on Wednesday. But there's a lot of good candidates this week. Some guys had Plenty some really good, good games. Candidates. So, so lots to choose from, especially after a win. Very easy to work with. So make sure to subscribe. Wherever you consume your podcast, rate and comment. Well, the interview, I mean, Intel, as Alex alluded to a little while ago, he also has game time. And then a little twist on mailing it in this week. It's helped solicit more questions. I threw out the promise of autograph swag. Oh. Which uh, means that Julie B., our phenomenal intern, will probably have to mail it out. Ah, uh, Julie B. Uh, Julie B. mailing Excellent. <laughs> Julie B. mailing it in. Can I take advantage of Julie B for sending this stuff out for the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast? Because I would love to be able to get that flag. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Julie will probably send the email. I'll send the email over. She may uh, quit by the end of the uh, podcast. There you go. But uh, first, let's get into uh, three and out as we dissect the win over the Giants. One, two, three, three. Three is a magic number. Now it's time for three and out. All right, so three co-hosts, three topics. Each one will take a certain aspect of the game and delve into it. I guess uh, I will start things off, and I'm going to look at the quarterback, Sam Bradford. During the press conference earlier on Tuesday, head coach Chip Kelly was asked about you know his confidence, his faith in Bradford, who had three interceptions. He had the uh, one touchdown pass to Riley Cooper. Completion percentage, I believe, about 65%. You know, that number has been consistently high, but obviously the interception totals last couple of games, little alarming, and especially concerning the fact that Sam Bradford was never known as being someone who threw interceptions. So Chip Kelly was asked about his faith, his confidence in Sam, and every week he's reiterated that Sam is our quarterback. And to me, and when I asked for questions for later on mailing it in, there are some fans who asked, is it time to go to Mark Sanchez? And look, I think Mark is a, is a good quarterback. I think he can run offense the offense well, but I think there are some limitations that he has in his game that Sam Bradford excel at, and I think if this team is going to go as far as it wants to go, if it's going to reach its potential, it's going to be with Sam Bradford as a quarterback. When you watch him throw the football, when you watch him throw the deep passes, you know, even on the touchdown, you might say, all right, it was a little underthrown. True, but just look at the way that he throws the ball, the way the ball comes out of his hands, the touch he can put on the ball, you know, Sanchez can't do that. You know, Bradford has, is an elite arm talent. It's a, has an amazing arm. 
and can definitely challenge the field, challenge defenses down the field vertically. And you start to see that the last couple of weeks. Chip Kelly touched on this in his press conference, the fact that you can't mimic live game situations from a pass rush standpoint. The quarterback has the red jersey on. You don't want to get him injured. You don't want him to have to face the live rush. You can do so many things from a simulation standpoint, but you just cannot mimic the live rush. That's something that he's going to have to experience in game situations. So he hasn't played for most of the last two seasons. We all know that. Mm-hmm. He got a little, he got his feet wet in the preseason, but this is his first real significant game action. Now, I only want to be able to say that for so long. I don't know what the point is where you say, has he had enough reps? Has he had enough snaps? Has he had enough game action to get past the two years of inactivity? I don't know where that line is. I still think he's working through some things. He's still learning with the receivers. You see the miscommunication on that, you know, the first drive of the game. Sproles is going to run the wheel. Bradford thinks he has him in the flat. Okay, something that, you know, Sproles saw made him keep going up the field. Bradford saw something else. The deep pass to Riley Cooper, similar to the one they connected on earlier in the second half. You know, Cooper saw the coverage and maybe made the decision late to do the curl route. You know, Bradford thought he was taken off and was still going down the field. That's going to work itself out. That's why it's good that you can have games where you're not playing your best and still come out with a a thorough victory so you can grow from that. And this is something that Ike Reese and I were talking about on the postgame show on late on Monday night, early Tuesday morning. You know, Bradford's just not used, I think, to being in a situation where he has the talent around him that he doesn't have to be the guy. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he was the number one overall pick in St. Louis. He was looked at as the franchise guy. He had to be the guy. He had to carry that team. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to do it here. I don't want to use the term game manager. Like I said, it's not a bad term. It's got, you know, kind of a negative connotation to it. He doesn't have to be that anymore. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, looked upon that way. You've got guys to get the ball to. You've got the stable of running backs. And you got a defense that's playing outstanding right now. Mm-hmm. Take advantage of it all. He's got to be the point guard. That's the term that Mark Sanchez used when he was playing. Yes. Where when you have so many skilled players around you, you're the point guard. Just get the ball in their hands. Let the playmakers do their job. And I think that's what's made Eli Manning so successful this season. True. Before last night is because that's what he's been doing. He's been getting the ball away quick and not making mistakes. Obviously, the Eagles were able to turn the tides on that a little bit on Monday night. But I think that's what Bradford has to do this season. He needs to, I think he needs to trust himself a little bit more. And again, you know, not playing for most of the last two years, it's tough. You can't simulate that game action. But to me, it's... This, the calls for Sanchez are going to come, but when you're 3-3 three and three and you're in first place, I don't think it's it's time to, no, to it's consider not, it. No, change no. It. It's almost a little bit. It's, it's different, but it's kind of similar to what the Denver Broncos are going through right now because there are calls to get Peyton Manning out of there. Now, obviously, Peyton Manning has had an incredible Hall of Fame career, one of the best quarterbacks ever, but his numbers are pretty low this season, but the Broncos are undefeated. Yeah. Uh, well, so it, if you're winning, it kind of... You know, give Bradford a little bit of a longer leash as long as you're winning. The thing with Manning is you're expecting a certain level of play. You're expecting that Peyton Manning level of play. And that's not there. That's not what he is anymore. Well, I wonder if fans are expecting that from Bradford after that Green Bay preseason Probably. game. Probably. I think that I'm game sure. was a, We all did. That, we all right, expected that. That game was a blessing and a curse for Bradford, I think. Because yes. It was great to see him back out there and, you know, 10 for 10, three touchdown passes. It was an unbelievable game, but I think that may have set fans' expectations a little bit too high. Obviously, they knew he wasn't going to go 10 for 10 every game, but, you know, they they want to see him. I will say, though, that if he didn't, unless that Green Bay game didn't happen, it was another repeat of what happened in Baltimore, uh, where there were some up and down throws. You know, he he took a couple shots and then he was out of the game. 
I feel like you'd hear more fans complaining for Brett because now you wouldn't even have that to hang your hat on. Right. You That's know? true. That's so, true. Look, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is it's just like you know, Chip Kelly said it this morning when he was on WIP was, you know, he's just been up and down. There are some missed throws uh, that obviously Stan Bradford would like to have back. The crossing route to Zach Ertz, he just, he, he sailed it over his head. The, you talked about the miscommunication with Cooper. Mm-hmm. Uh, he underthrew the, the one corner route to Ertz again. You have the, the one Which that was almost, almost caught. The, he did, but it was still, under, you know, it was, it was under thrown thrown. Pass. Yeah. It was not a thrown mm-hmm. pass. It could have gone to the back pylon and you put your, your receiver in a better position. No. You know, there are some throws that are left on the field. So question of the matter is, is how confident do you feel that he's going to get out of the rut? And, you know, obviously they feel confident that he's going to be able to do that. Uh, you can hang your hat on that 10-for-10 10 10 performance and, w- and what you think you've got in Sam Bradford moving forward and if he's got the best chance to take this team to its full potential. All right. That's my uh, rant for three and out. Who's touching on one of you has defense? Yes, I do. I have the defense. What do you have, Fran? Fran has... I talk about anything. I could talk about everything and anything. Okay. Anything? Well, he's, he's waiting. Anything? Anyway, I'll talk about the defense here. <laughs> Obviously, a commanding defensive performance. The first drive, the Giants come out, and they go 80 plays. I think it was eight yards. Eli goes five for five. Beckham scores a touchdown. And it's another one of those moments where you're like, well, it's one of those games. It was a chance for the Eagles to get back in first place Monday night, primetime, and it's all going to collapse again because the Eagles can't defend this Giants offense. And Eli Manning's playing the best of his career, and Beckham's going to go for a million yards. And then they all turned it around. And C-Mac, you touched on it earlier, the D'Amico Ryan's play, and Chip Kelly mentioned it as well, that changed the game. When he ripped that ball away from Larry Donnell, it really changed the outcome of that game. But just the overall defensive effort, I really think that this Eagles defense they're coming into their own, and they're becoming one of the better units in the league. And I think this is, it's now without a doubt, I think that this is the best defensive line, the, at least the best 3-4 defensive line in the NFL. Fletcher Cox has another phenomenal game. He gets another sack. He's got five on the year. His previous season high was five and a half in his rookie season. He's already got five this year, so if, you know... People have been complaining that he doesn't get the national recognition that he deserves. I think he he's really done an unbelievable job this season. But Benny Logan, another monstrous game. And Benny Logan's one of my favorite players to talk to after the game because whenever you talk to him, he he talks about having fun. And, you know, it's all about obviously playing smart football and getting your job done, but just having fun out there when you do it. And I think Benny Logan is having a blast, excuse me, out there on the field right now, playing alongside Fletcher Cox. Cedric Thornton is just steady Eddie out there on the defensive line. And then when you have Connor Barwin, who was pass rushing like a madman last night, Vinnie Curry got in there, got a sack and a half. Just everybody stepping in. The secondary locking down on Odell Beckham. They were doubling him for most of the night. Nolan Carroll finally gets his first pick. So I think that was a defensive effort where it was every level that really stepped up their play. And it was a, th- it was a thing to watch. They didn't get the shutout again against the Giants. But the, after that first drive, that, that was really it. The Giants are making small improvements. Last year was 27 nothing. They get seven this year. It's 27-7 this year. Well, don't forget Week 17 as well. That was a pretty good offense. I'm going yeah, but that by. wasn't in the black jerseys. <laughs> uh, it wasn't in, in Philadelphia. All right, all right. Thanks, Fran. Well, one thing uh, I heard Bill Davis say was on the opening drive, Giants went with a lot of two tight ends because I think they weren't sure what they were going to have out of Odell Beckham. Right. Because he didn't practice. He was, you know, he did a little bit on Sunday, but it was a walkthrough for the team. But once they realized he was good to go, okay, they went back to their traditional three receiver sets. Problem is they didn't practice that all week. So you wonder if that was something that ended up limiting them because they figured, oh, we, we're going to have Beckham. Well, the Eagles schemed to take him out and you didn't practice with this formation all week. Now you've changed pretty much your game plan and the guy that you're you know banking on to help take you over the top has been negated by the 
opposing defense. Yeah, I, I thought that overall it was probably one of the better games that Bill Davis has called. You know, I think they they, do, they did a really good job uh, in taking Beckham away in key situations. Third down, it seemed like they had him double covered. And look, I I think that fans kind of overuse the term double coverage, and they expect that it happens often. It doesn't really actually happen that often in the NFL. You know, the elite receivers will see it from time to time, but it's not like an entire game a guy's getting double covered. It's very, very rare that that happens. But on third down in a number of different situations on Monday night, the Eagles were able to double cover Odell Beckham because they felt comfortable with their man-to-man matchups across the board elsewhere along the field, and, you know, it worked out really, really well. A lot of those big sacks that the Eagles had in the second half came off double coverage looks where they had Odell Beckham covered up. So really, really interesting stuff. There were some really cool blitz concepts and pressure concepts from Bill Davis's defense. Fletcher Cox is standing up in the A-gap, and Jordan Hicks is lined up as a pass rusher on the outside, and Brandon Graham is lined up over the center as a nose tackle. All kinds of different looks. Really, really interesting stuff. And the, the in-game adjustment, I thought, from that first drive and then seeing them you know, execute at a higher level but then also try some different looks and different things from a schematic standpoint were really good to see. Well, that's why it was key for the Eagles to get pressure with the four-man rush. Sure. So they can do those things on the back end. And I think Eagles are smart to realize who's the one vertical threat you really got to contend with. Right. Everyone else, it's as you mentioned, Alex, it's all Manning, get the ball out quick to Donnell. Get it quick out to Ruben Randall. Get it quick to Verena, the backfield. Well, you know, if you're going to press and disrupt the timing on those, you have Beckham double covered on the key third downs. They really didn't have a rushing tack. The one thing that concerned me on the opening drive was how well they were running the football. Because I yeah. said to myself, if all of a sudden now the Giants are two-dimensional, this is something that I wasn't really prepared to see. They've struggled to get the ground game going all right. season, but luckily the Eagles were able to take that away and pretty much shut down the entire Giants offense. Yeah, and then, you know, you look at I'll jump into my point with the, with the Eagles run game. Uh, it was really good to see. Just you know, the, I thought that they did some different things from a schematic standpoint with Demarco Murray. A lot of what we had seen in the past, and we have seen the under center, and there were relatively no under center uh, on Monday night against New York. A lot of his big runs came from the shotgun but instead of the sweep instead of the outside zone it was a lot more inside zone where they were able to get him downhill with his shoulders squared to the line of scrimmage and he was able to you know make a quick read and stick his foot in the ground and go uh and that worked out really really well it was the same case uh on his touchdown run they had a number of other 11 and 12 yard runs where he was able to again really quickly get downhill and pick up positive yardage with a head of steam they ran more package plays i thought where there was run pass option for the quarterback uh, and able to get the ball out quickly. Zach Ertz made a number of quick catches in the quick game uh, off of quick hitches, off of those kind of run-pass option plays. Uh, and then, look, the, the, this entire this Eagles offense is based off the running game. And you know, when they can get play action going, when they can have run action going one way and run screen passes to the other side, they've got the ability to really keep defenses on their toes. And that was something that was very apparent Monday night. Against the defense, look, that they were decimated by injuries. They weren't yeah. highly regarded coming into the week. And then you lose Prince of Mukamara. You don't have Devin Kennard. You don't have... And you know, Ride Tremaine McBride, exactly. I mean, you know, you start losing these guys up and down your defensive depth chart, and the Eagles took advantage. And it was really, really good to see, especially, you know, the second week in a row now, we've seen a solid performance from the offensive line. No really big breakdowns from that unit, whether it's in pass protection or in the run game. Really, really good to see. So, uh, good stuff. You know, moving forward against the Carolina Panthers team, this defensive line is is very stout up front. You know, you've got Kawan Short, uh, Star Latulale, the linebackers. You know, it's a good front seven. So, uh, you want the run game to be able to continue. And they don't have Charles Johnson. They exactly. don't have Greg Hardy anymore. No, the pass rush. That's the pass rush the from the thing. front four isn't there, but. Uh, you know, in certain terms of a run-stopping standpoint, you've got Keekley, you've got Thomas Davis, and you've got those two defensive tackles inside. It's a good group. All right, so that's going to do it for three and out. Now it's time for the interview. 
And now it's time for what you've all been waiting for, the interview. Our special guest this week, the interview on the Eagles Insider Podcast, none other than linebacker Brandon Graham. Brandon, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on the show, man. Take me back to Monday night, fourth and one. Did you pretend that Rashad Jennings was a Michigan punter? You exact a little little revenge, so to speak. Take out some of that frustration, anger from uh, the disappointment on Saturday. Hey, I kind of uh, <laughs> I kind of got my water boy on, you know, start putting people heads on top of <laughs> different other people's, you know what I'm saying? And uh, nah, but in all seriousness, I seen the fullback. Uh, we worked on that play all week too. Okay, following the fullback wherever the fullback go, that's usually where the run is going. And uh, he start. If you look at the play. You see the fullback going motion. You see me widen out some more because I kind of knew it was going outside. Mm-hmm. And um, Fletch did a good job on his part too. He too got real good. And once he had, once he seen he was in his gap, he bounced out to me, and I ended up making the play. But uh, it just wasn't me that got it done. I no, mean, but you had to set the edge. That yeah. was the one thing you had to be concerned about yeah. because you saw him breaking out, and I was like, if BG yeah. doesn't have the edge there, yeah, he's he, gonna get that. Oh first yeah, he got the first down for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like like what I talk about all the time, people. Wasn't trying to do other people's jobs, and everybody did their job, and we ended up stopping them. Bill Davis spoke to reporters and talked about how mentally tough that you guys are on defense, that you guys allowed that opening series touchdown, but there was no point in fingers, that you guys just rallied back, you fixed the mistakes, and you shut them down the rest of the way. Can you talk about how that's developed, how you guys have gotten to that level over the last couple of years? I think uh, what Chip has done over the whole offseason as far as – mental conditioning and doing little different things to think about the mind, the mental part of the game instead of like always the physical and I think uh, with us we kind of know each other now to where how we can criticize each other and who can take what who can't take this and we kind of know each other a lot more and in that moment we was kind of laughing because we was just like man they ain't doing nothing that we ain't practice yeah. and that's what we was talking about on the sideline and so he's just like, all right, just kind of calm down. And then they still kind of was hitting us, and then D'Amico made his play, and then that's when everything kind of like took That clicked. Over. Yeah. And usually it's always who who going to make the first big play, and Miko was the one who, who started it for us. Speaking of mental toughness, can you talk about your growing up in Detroit and how that sort of helped shape that mental toughness and brought that out of you, growing up in a tough environment and being able to persevere and come from there? to be the person and player you are today? Well, for me, it was um, my mom would always tell me not to make excuses and stuff like that, no matter the circumstance, because I used to always you know, wonder about why my dad and my mom never worked out to where they, he could be in the household type stuff. And uh, she would just say, you know, don't make no excuses. It is what it is. Just make sure that uh, you continue to just listen to me and and continue to get good grades and everything will work out. And that's what I did. Um, I, I stayed. I mean, I was out in the neighborhood. I had fun. I had friends. But as I got older and started seeing that life is about decisions, and it kind of clicked for me a little early. Once I got to high school, I want to say the beginning of high school, that's when, like, I really started paying attention to my, like, decisions on who I'm hanging with, who I'm not. Because I'm, like, I'm trying to get somewhere. And, I mean, for me, man, it was just more so I, I just stayed in extracurricular activities off the field I was in chess I was you know in practice most of the time Mm -hmm. so I kind of got away from you know being in the neighborhood all the time and it was like almost like I was making guest appearances when I used to come out and have fun with my boys because they'd be like man we thought you was gonna be at practice or something you know I used to get little jokes like that but 
uh, I feel like um, if you in a tough environment, just try to find something to do that's a curriculum other than just being out in uh, the neighborhood. Your high school, though, from when it started, it was just a bunch of trailers. It wasn't even like a typical high school. Yeah, it was just one trailer. It was one, one trailer. long trailer. Okay. And, uh, we had rooms on both sides and um, no gym, no nothing. We had to go to a middle school just to go to gym. Really? Yeah. We played our games at a middle school. <laughs> and you know those middle school gyms could be. Right, they big. They really big. They bigger than some high schools. Okay. Yeah, so it was, it was at the time, man, we just – work with what we had and um i think that was the most that was the best part we we wasn't given anything and i kind of always had that attitude as far as you 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 are not given anything you just adjust to what what the situation is and I so that like, helped you if anything yeah, a lot of people me. might look at that and be like why haven't yeah. people given me something in right life, and know? why why am i here when this school got this 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 and that mm-hmm. all the stuff i need to be successful but really we got everything it's just we got to go different places to get it it's but I feel like uh, it helped me out just with my personality, man, just persevering through and just not really worrying about what I can't control. If this is what we got, then I'm going to just work with what I got. Now, my producer, Brian Thomas, man to the right of me as we're sitting here recording this, told me that you went and hosted a camp there this past off season, mm-hmm. But it wasn't the typical, you know, let's go back to the neighborhood and have a football camp that you specifically targeted you know, people from different walks of life, kids from different walks of life. And it wasn't just boys, it was girls as well. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Can you take me through the process of how you came up with the idea for this camp and, you know, what makes it different than other, you know, players and people who have hosted similar camps? Well, that's what we was talking about, me and the wife. We was talking about how can we make it a lot different. And I and she brought up, like, why, why don't – I mean, wouldn't you want to have girls involved too? And I was like, huh? Like, you know, yeah, like but it kind of threw me out there. And then she was like, yeah, uh, pretty much girls don't really have much to do other than just to go support their brothers at camps. Why can't we just allow it to be girls involved, too? And we could just do a separate thing for the girls uh, while the boys doing the football stuff on the field. And sure enough, we came together. So we started off 100 boys, 100 girls because we wanted to start small, have an intimate, you know, thing so we can yeah. kind of get the feel of it. And then uh, for me. It was really just trying to make sure I, I, my, my message can come across, you know, real good other than just having thousands of kids there and just everybody's – it's hard to, like, kind of calm everybody down. So I try to stay with high school. That's and you specifically targeted these kids. So how did you select the kids in particular? Well, I, was it based on the, grades or, or – What we did was uh, we went to 20 different high schools um, and we picked five boys, five girls from each high school. Okay. But the hardest part was – it's a free camp, man, but it's like nobody was getting back to us. So we ended up having to. Uh, <laughs> You're like begging you, people to come. Like, I mean, we camp? begging people to come to get free stuff. Ain't that crazy? But it's crazy because <laughs> when you, when you, when you ask people to pay for it, I mean, when they have a paid camp, man, you get so many people. I mean, just signing up. But when you when it's a free camp, and I'm like, look, I need just bodies. That's yeah. it. I just need bodies there. I want people to have fun, come in, and just take some of this free stuff we giving. And, you know, this message that we delivering. And um, for us, yeah, it was just it was just the wife came up just trying to be different with the girls. But uh, I think we're going to continue to keep growing. Next year is going to be 200. So you just talk about that, you know, you're here on the second contract now. How special the second opportunity has been for you here uh, in Philadelphia that now after this time, 
that you have the chance to be a star, be an impact player on the defense. Just talk about your appreciation for the role and opportunity that you have here now. Oh, man, I appreciate it so much more because when I first got in here, yeah, I went in the top. And, you know, I'm going to start by default because they selected me in the first round. But for me, I went through injury. I had to come from the third, the threes all the way up to now ones. And, I mean, man, that that was a long, hard journey. And for me, um, I appreciate it that much more because I know what it's like to not to be able to get dismissed real quick. You know, I thought I wasn't going to be mm-hmm. here a couple years ago just because new new coach, um, my, my season new wasn't scheme. going as good. Yeah, it's just yeah. new scheme, all kind of different things. But for me, I knew football was going to be football. And then once he see that I could play, that, um, you know, I was going to be all right. And I just stayed with it. Last question real quick. What message, if you had to, would you give to yourself back in 2010? To the um, guy who's just being selected 13th overall by the Philadelphia Make, make sure I take care of my body uh, early on so I can create them habits so that, I'm, that I have right now. Because I felt like that was the reason why I got hurt too. Because I wasn't getting massages like I'm getting them right now. I wasn't doing all kind of the extra stuff like getting in a cold tub. Just really taking care of my body. I just... You know how you is as a young guy. You like, man, I'm good. I can, you know, I don't need to warm up. You know that type of <laughs> yeah. that type of attitude. Just go out there and play, right? I'll show I just up. go out there and show up. That's how that's how you feel because your yeah. body feels so good. But uh, for me, I would tell myself take care of myself a little more. BG, special guests here on the Eagles entire podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Time to get ready for game day. It's time for enemy intel. All right, Fran, it is time for Enemy Intel. It's a bit of a short week here for the Eagles coming off the Monday night game, right back into it on Sunday, so you kind of have to cram to get all your film in, but I know yes. that you have. I know that there's there's no limits on your film-watching ability. So let's jump right into it. Eagles and Panthers this weekend. Looking at that Panthers defense, I think the big name is obviously Luke Keekley, and a lot of people may know the name, but the casual fan may not know too much about him. So how exactly does Carolina like to use him in that defense? Well, I mean, when you look at Luke Keekley, he's a guy that's really the total package at the linebacker position because he's got the ability to be physical and tough downhill, come down, take on a guard, take on a tackle, take on a center, makes quick work of fullbacks and tight ends as well in the run game, Uh, and it's just a great sideline-to-sideline player. He's also much more athletic than people give him credit for. He makes a lot of plays in space, can make plays in coverage. He's incredibly instinctive, and that's probably his strong suit. It's just his ability to recognize plays early in the down. If it's a perimeter run play, his first step is outside. And he's and trying to retrace and out leverage the play and force it back in. Just a really instinctive player. The fact that he's back in the lineup is great news for Carolina Panthers and that defensive front because, you know, th- yeah, th- had they been successful without him, sure, but they definitely missed him inside. Uh, and he's just a huge presence. Him and Thomas Davis is right. just a great duo there at the linebacker spot. And it's a really, it's an interesting defense because, you know, Sean McDermott, they like to mix up pressures. It's a zone heavy scheme, so a lot of zone coverage on the back end. Uh, we've seen it in the past year, over the past two years, the Eagles have played the Panthers. And really, it's, like I said, it's a heavy zone zone coverage and you see a lot of different blitz packages so much like you saw from Steve Spagnuolo last week there's lots of different overloads different zone pressure concepts it's a very interesting group overall so do those linebackers kind of take away the middle of the field or could that be a spot where the Eagles might look to attack this week it just depends on the play you know if it's man coverage they're not afraid to put those guys in man but like I said it's mostly a zone team so just depending on what the coverage is you know Thomas Davis might be dropping out towards the sideline or he might be patrolling the middle of the field it just depends on what the coverage is but overall you don't want to have to throw to those linebackers because they're so adept at coverage and then look the rookie Shaq Thompson as well a former college safety obviously is pretty comfortable in space as well 
speaking of the middle of the field, kind of switching things up a little bit because Greg Olson has been one of, if not the best tight ends in the league this season, had the huge game-winning catch on the road to beat Seattle. So Olson matching up with the Eagles defense, specifically with the Eagles safeties. And Chip Kelly has talked about all season long how good Malcolm Jenkins and Walter Thurman have been with their corner coverage abilities. How does that shake up? How do the Eagles defend Greg Olson this weekend? You know, I, I think it'll be a number of different ways. And you look at this past week against the Giants and Larry Donnell, they covered him differently than they did with New York in terms of the Jets and Jeff Cumberland, who was an athletic movement tight end uh, type. And obviously Greg Olson is a different animal than both of those players. But, you know, you'll at times I would imagine you'll see Malcolm Jenkins as the number one guy. At times I would imagine you'll see Walter Thurmond. You might see Nolan Carroll. We saw him at times against the New York Giants going up against Larry Donnell in space. So I wouldn't be surprised to see any number of those different combinations. I think you'll see a good amount of zone coverage as well we saw that against the Jets we talked about that uh, here on the podcast and some of the different looks they showed from a coverage standpoint so that is the guy you want to stop in this passing game because look they try and they try and grind you out in the run game and that's a vertical shot team lots of play action and they'll try and take their shots you got Ted Ginn Philly Brown you know Devin Funches they're going to try and throw him the ball you know, it's a vertical shot team, but you want to stop Greg Olson. He's the number one pass target in that offense. And without Kelvin Benjamin for the years, obviously a, a huge blow for them. But speaking of the tight end position, we saw the Giants on Monday night came out and played, I think it was entirely two tight ends on the first drive of the game. And it looked like that gave the Eagles some fits on that first drive. Do you expect Carolina to go with maybe a two tight end look as well? You know, they, they play a good amount of two tight ends because they play Ed Dixon is, is a big part of what they do offensively. Uh, I want to say it was the, actually, let's look at it. Two tight ends is the actual, actually the number one offensive personnel pack mm. that you see from Carolina. So large part of the offensive snap so far this year, you'll see a good amount of 22 personnel as well with two backs and two tight ends. And that might be more, you know, based on what they do in the run game with all the different option elements. And it's really just a very diverse run scheme in turn you know there might be you know we, we joke that you know the Eagles run you know you know maybe two three four different kinds of plays in one game four might be a lot the Panthers run a dozen maybe and you know and it's it's a very multi-layered run game that they try to do a lot of different things and there's a couple of different ways you look at it you can say okay well that's really uh, interesting scheme wise it's kind of fun to watch but then also you know some of the basic plays they're they, tr they struggle to get movement consistently so they have to try and make up for it in a lot of different ways a lot of misdirection a lot of uh, creating angles and creating gaps from an alignment standpoint really interesting stuff from Carolina when you watch them on tape looking at the Eagles defense here uh, the last couple weeks the quarterbacks the Eagles have faced Drew Brees and Eli Manning two guys that get the ball away pretty quick but this week things are a little different with Cam Newton the guy who can run the read option which is something the Eagles haven't had to face this season how does the read option fit into their offense it's a huge part and it's really interesting because all of their base runs uh, you know they run power they run counter they run outside zone they run inside zone they ha then have a QB run element to it so you'll see QB power, where it's he, when he's reading a, a middle linebacker or he's reading a defensive tackle, and he may keep it and run power, or he may give it to the running back, and it's an outside sweep play. Uh, they have you know the, the QB counter run where it's just Cam Newton and empty, and he takes it, and it's a counter run play, and they're trying to get numbers that way. Lots of different wrinkles to this run game, and he's a big part of what they do. Obviously, you also have to be cognizant of where he is uh, in scramble situations as well when he drops back to pass. The Eagles were uh, did a really good job last year in prime time against that offense in those situations, keeping Cam under wraps. And I would expect that they would go with a similar type of game plan. Michael Kendricks was a big part of that, so hopefully he's healthy for Sunday night. Was Kendricks spying Cam Newton last year? For a good chunk of the game, yeah. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the entire game, but for a lot of those plays, I know Connor Barwin was used as a spy as well. Mm -hmm. There were times when Cole and Graham were used as spies, so 
They'll probably mix it up, but you know, Kendricks you saw as a spy a number of different times, and he was used that way later in the season against Russell Wilson as well. If the situation calls for it, could Jordan Hicks be the spy? I think so. Your guy? Yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, I, he's definitely got the movement to be able to do it, so wouldn't surprise me to see that either. All right, Fran, great stuff and enemy intel as always. Now let's have a little fun with game time. Get out your scorecards. It's game time. I have my scorecard this week. Um, I boom, just boom, boom. I just made it right now, but I have it. I came prepared. Uh, so for this week's edition of Game Time, I, I thought about bringing back a favorite from all the way back last week, which was Two Truths and an Eli. I thought about doing Two Truths and a Carolina, but I'll save that. Uh, maybe for another time. That would, more, that would have been more of a stretch. Yeah, and well, I would have been not as impressed with using the same game two, two weeks in a row. Well, that's why I didn't do it. I got to keep you guys on your toes. That was well done. Uh, today's game is called Top Cats, uh, and this is going to test how well you know this week's opponent. Uh, a young franchise, the Carolina Panthers, um, but they've had some success in their brief history, and today we're going to go Don't through. Don't remind uh, us. Yeah, seriously. Well, we'll get there. Uh, we'll Great. go through. <laughs> Well, we go through womp, womp. The, the Carolina Stevens, Panthers. Stevens, get, get on the drops here, man. Come on. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Stevens uh, bringing his A game. Very nice. like third, Stevens was in like third grade when that game happened. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was 12 years old, uh, and it was, it's the worst Eagles game that I can remember. In my, in my mm, memory, no, it's my no, worst the, the year before. before. Everybody always before. says that, but yes, it's not. That this, was the, the year. year. The year before. That was their Super Bowl. Sending the vet out. Because yeah, yeah, uh, was they, so ugly. Because oh three, it was so ugly. But they lost Westbrook going to the playoffs. Yeah, but so they didn't have their best offensive weapon. I mean, it wasn't. Ugh, this is gonna. They get, needed to turn into a depressing remember, conversation. Yeah, you know, was fourth. They need fourth and twenty six just to make the championship game. Yeah. It was awful to me because I remember I had to get braces the next day. <laughs> so, like, Jeez. I had to wake up early. And this like, is the TMI edition of the Eagles and I had to wake podcast. up early. Like, you go in and, then like, the dentists are talking to you about it. It's like, I don't want to talk about this game anymore. It's just, it's just a bad memory. Strap the <laughs> metal to my teeth and move on. <laughs> let's get this over with. I got stuff to do. I'm 12 years old. Uh, anyway, let's look at the record books. Uh, Steve Smith, who is no longer with the uh, Carolina Panthers, he owns just about every record. Uh, and we'll get to that later. But we're going to go through some trivia questions about records that Steve Smith does not hold. So we'll start with C-Mac. Okay. Are you ready? Not really, but sure. C-Mac, which Carolina Panther holds the team record for games played? It is not Steve Smith. He is second at 182. Mushin Muhammad. Good guess, but incorrect. Mm. Ran rebuttal. Uh, Most Jor- games Jordan played. Gross. Also uh, incorrect. You guys uh, go 0 for 2 right. in round 1. The was correct it? answer, you have to think kicker. Oh, man. It was uh, Carney. John, John Casey. John Casey. John Carney was the yeah, Saints, Saints guy, guy. who All missed right. the uh, extra, point. extra point after the crazy play. Uh, so no point there in round 1. Wasn't that against Carolina, too? It was against yeah. Carolina, yes. Uh, round 2. Or not, uh, first question for Fran. Most touchdowns in a season... By a Carolina Panther, belongs to. Uh, I'm gonna guess Steve Smith. Incorrect. <laughs> C Mac. Well, this is, these are all the records that Steve Smith. Oh, these does are the ones that Steve hold. doesn't hold. Correct. Oh, well, then that was a really bad guess. 
Um, Got to pay attention to details right. here in game time. True. Long night. Most touchdowns in a season in Carolina Panthers history. Why is Steven Davis coming that's to mind? That's what I would have said. Also incorrect. Oh, okay, so I was guessed wrong. All right, so this is turning into last week's game where uh, you guys aren't doing too hot to begin with. No. The correct answer, D'Angelo Williams. Really? Okay. 20 touchdowns in 2008. Okay. 20 that's TDs. Interesting. Okay. We come back to C-Mac. This is a this is a really tough one. This might be the hardest <laughs> one. Panthers record for most passing yards in a season. Most passing yards. <laughs> um, I almost want to go back and forth uh, on this one. Chris Wanky? Incorrect. Yeah, just keep going back and forth. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if you Curry got... Collins. Incorrect. Come on. Can I give you the year or will I give it away? Maybe. Uh, I, mean, I, would I, think think Delhomme. I would think Jake DeLome. Incorrect. For- so. 1999. Steve, Steve Berline. Correct. Yes! Oh. <laughs> Steve Berline it is. <laughs> With 4,436 wow. yards That's in ama- It's amazing that that long ago, a Carolina Panther threw for 4,000 yards. A Philadelphia Eagle has never thrown for 4,000 yards in a season. Steve, this is a Steven de- Berline. A depressing episode of, uh, of game time here. Uh, all right, what's, let's see. What's next here? Uh, we go to Fran. A wide, a rare wide receiver record that Steve Smith does not own. Okay. The longest pass reception in Carolina Panthers history is 91 yards, and it came in the last five years. I'm going to say it's Ted Ginn. Good guess. Ooh, but good guess. Kiri Colbert. Oh, good guess. Also incorrect. Oh, uh, no points Was there. It, uh, <laughs> it it's a guy who's, uh, who's still in the league. He's on a different team. He's a pretty productive player. Is it... Um, Who's the kid in New in New England right now? Uh, LaFell. La- Brandon LaFell. Brandon LaFell is correct. Okay. Okay. 91-yard touchdown. Right, no points, though. No points there. Uh, back to C-Mac. C-Mac, on the defensive side of the ball, which Panther okay. has the franchise record for interceptions? Wow. Twenty-seven picks in his career with the Panthers. This is bad that I that's probably someone who's obvious that I'm just It's a name to. that I didn't remember off the top of my head, but once I saw it it made sense. I'm trying I'm Might going to just roll the dice on this one. Roman Harper. Incorrect. Yeah, the, yeah. Only, the only the only DB that's that's coming to mind right now from that era is is uh is Mike Minter. Good guess. Oh, that's good. I don't good. think it's Mike Minter. Incorrect. Uh, I'm going to assume it's not Ricky Manning. It is not Ricky Manning. So, uh, I can't give any points there. I said you had to roll the dice because it's Chris Gamble. Uh, oh, okay. well done. Good one. Chris yeah. Gamble was the answer. Uh, BT was trying to give Our me producer, Brian Thomas, who, who's walked in in the middle of the taping, he's like, he knows every answer. So, he's just like. Well, he's got his phone out. He's clearly, clearly cheating. All right, uh, Fran, this one's for you. Yes. Who holds the Panthers' record for most sacks in one game? Hmm. Well, didn't didn't Greg Hardy have that huge game against the Giants uh, a couple years ago? But, oh, man, this is a trick question. All right, it's either Hardy. I got Chalk answer is Julius Peppers. I'm going to go Julius Peppers. You shouldn't have doubted yourself. Uh, it was Hardy, wasn't it, against really? the Giants? Uh, I don't think it was the Giants. I think it was against the Saints. Okay. In 2013, four sacks uh, in that one for Greg Hart. So does C-Mac get the point since I – No, yeah, no, because I didn't guess it. No. Did, uh, did Reggie White ever have a sack for them? Uh, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see that when I was combing through the uh, <laughs> the 
the uh, the very lengthy uh, Carolina Panthers record book. Okay. So I did not see that. Uh, we're back to C-Mac here. Super Bowl 38, mm. which the Eagles should have been in. Steve Smith did catch a touchdown pass in that game, but uh-huh. so did two other Carolina receivers. Who were they? Pass catchers or receivers? Receivers. Mm. Two other receivers caught touchdowns. Jake DeLone had three TDs in that game. Okay. The answer I'm going to always go with is Mushin Muhammad. That's correct. Yep. An 85-yard score in that game. Who else was on that? I think I've got it. I'm trying to think of. I think I got it. Do I go back to the other guy I mentioned, Kiri Colbert? Incorrect. Mm. Is it, is it Ricky Prohl? Oh, Ricky Prohl. Ricky Prohl. Currently the wide receiver coach in Carolina. Yeah. You each get one point for that one. Uh, interesting note about Ricky Prohl. He's one of two players in NFL history who have caught a touchdown in two different Super Bowls with two different teams. The other one is Jerry Rice. So, illustrious company there. Ricky Prohl and Jerry Rice there you go. Uh, together in history. Uh, Fran. Yes. Which current Eagle shares the record for most receptions in a game by a Panthers opponent. This is Jordan Matthews. Incorrect. Same act chance to steal. This player caught 13 passes against the Panthers. Miles Austin. Incorrect. Disappointed in you guys. Darren Sproles is correct. When? Uh, This was in 2012. Sproles had 13 catches for them. Uh, the guy tied with Sproles is uh, disappointed in myself for that. Sproles and Joe Horn also had 13 oh, catches Horn. against the Panthers. The great Joe Horn. Uh, Cell phone call. Yes, yes. on the horn with Joe Horn. Uh, one more left for each of you guys. All right, here we the go. The 2003 NFC Championship oh. game. This player intercepted Donovan McNabb three times. C-Mac, can you name him? No. Really? You don't want to name him or you can't name him? No, I can't. Fran? It's Ricky Manning Jr. It is Ricky Manning Jr. Three picks on Donovan McNabb. Now, a bonus question here. Coy Detmer came into the game. Yeah. Yep. And he also threw an interception. Okay. Do you remember who intercepted that pass? Dan Morgan. That is correct. Wow, good call. Wow. Who was the player who, was the player who knocked Donovan McNabb out of the game? Oh. Uh, I'm actually not 100% sure that this is the answer, but I'm pretty sure this is the answer. Was it um player who knocked Donovan out of the game? Was it? I feel like I looked this up earlier too. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna Google it as I'm. Yeah, you guys to I don't. Was it Wizard Witherspoon? Uh, no, good call. Will Witherspoon. I'm pretty sure it was Greg Fields, but I'm going to check that. All right. Well, we'll get the research department on that one. Yeah. Uh, last one here. Okay. Um, and this one's for Fran. Uh, so I, I mentioned that Steve Smith has a ton of records. Uh, in the Carolina Panthers re- record books. Fran, how many records do you think Steve Smith holds? Give um, me a number. If you're within 10, I'll be impressed. 27. 27. C-Mac, chance to rebuttal. Now, no. now let, let, let's take a second here. This is including playoff records, single-season records, Everything. rookie records. 43 in our Darren Sproles. C-Mac is closer, so he gets the point. Steve Smith has 64 records for the Carolina Panthers. 64. So everything from playoff games to single seasons to guys all over the place. Uh, so that's top cats. Let's count up the you probably here. You probably missed a few in there. He probably holds the records for most catches in a two-minute span. In he the also third probably quarter. holds the record for the most records held. 
Yeah. So he, he might. That. that might be a record. That's that's blowing my mind. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. Uh, so C-Mac, you finished with three points. Fran finishes with, oh my God, three points. <laughs> Nobody wins. It was Greg. Fe- no. It was uh, it was Greg Favors, not Greg Fields. Oh, oh. you lose. Deduct a yeah. point for that one. C-Mac go. is the winner today in Top Cats. Um, I feel like a loser while being a winner. I think we all Top do. Cats, we're we the all winner, where the winner is actually the loser. <laughs> we're all losers here on the podcast. <laughs> all right, guys, let's mail it in. Captain, incoming message. Please check your mailbox. A new message has arrived. And now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in our segment, Mailing It In. So, in light of the Eagles' win, feeling a little generous, just like Eli Manning was last night. Ha <laughs> ha! Feel like giving them a little prizes away here on the podcast. So, solicit some questions if we use yours. I'll send you a little DM action. And Alex, are you doing okay there? No, my microphone just completely fell off the arm, but uh, we'll, we'll carry on. We will you know, carry just on. Just make it work. That's you what know. I'm doing here. The microphone's tired as well. It's had a long night. Yes. Hanging around. First question, I like this one, comes from at Kieran New, Starlord on Twitter, wants to know, everyone seems to be criticizing Byron Maxwell. What is your opinion of his performances, and is he improving? I haven't watched the tape as thoroughly as Fran has, but I think in the last few games, he's definitely shown signs of improvement. I thought he had a, a pretty nice game last night. Uh, he talked about a couple of the penalties that were called on him after the game. He said that one of them was legit, where he was actually holding the guy, but the other one maybe not so much. But uh, I think he's doing a nice job out there, and you didn't really hear, I don't think, that much from him, aside from those two penalties last night. No, you didn't. But for a cornerback, that's a good thing in certain situations. So I think he's definitely improving. I think he's getting more comfortable in the scheme. And I think just the secondary overall is playing at a really high level right now. Yeah, and I think they're also getting more comfortable with how to use him in the situations that they put him in. There were a couple times where, look, we talked earlier about the double coverage situations against Odell Beckham. There were also times where he was one-on-one against Beckham and was able to win at the line of scrimmage and remove him from the progression. So uh, I think Maxwell's played well. You know, I, Look, it, you're, is he Richard Sherman? Is he Darrell Rivas in his prime? Is he Patrick Peterson? No, that's not Byron Maxwell. He's a very, very good corner, and he's playing at a, at a high level right now for the, uh, for the Eagles' defense. So I'm pretty happy with how Maxwell's playing. I think it seems like it's a situation where he was – brought in and everyone thought he could be utilized right in that realm sure. and i think even the coaches thought they could utilize him in that way to an extent but i think they learned from that julio jones performance in week one that's not the best way to utilize him yeah and i, I think you know? that, that, and that, that that was a tough matchup to begin exactly. with let's start there but furthermore i think they've adjusted some things to make to better utilize the talent that they have in him sure I'd agree. So we'll go to the next question here. Uh, I'll go with this one. At Kevin Gargray, Kevin Gardner Gregory on Twitter, okay. wants to know, will we see more of Vinny Curry after his best performance of the year? His get-off is absolutely incredible. Uh, he, had this, he had to snap down the other night. He had to snap down. You know, seeing more of a guy, I think that these guys all have roles in, you know, in certain sub-packages, and the, and the Eagles played a ton of nickel and dime on Monday night against the Giants because of how the Giants play offense. So Vinny Curry was on the field a lot. And, you know, in those situations, he's going to continue to see a lot of reps. He is what he – I mean, he's the best pass rusher on the team. You know, in terms of just natural pass rush skill, uh, Vinny Curry is the guy. So I would expect when there are put-in situations where they need to get a pass rush, Vinny Curry will be on the field. 
Yeah, it's it's those passing situations, and I think a lot of time it's when the Eagles have the lead in the game and the other team is forced into a, a passing situation, that's when you're going to see Vinnie Curry. So if seeing more Vinnie Curry means that the Eagles have leads late in games and you know they're going to go all out after the quarterback, I'm okay with that, and I, I look forward to that. Yeah, I mean, if it's third and long situations, that's what you want him for. And as Fran said, there are certain situations that he's best suited for, and that, again, it's finding ways to utilize a guy's talents. Okay. Exactly. Uh, let's see. This one comes from at Eagles Troll. What is your most interesting alignment of the defensive linemen and linebackers this season in terms of moving players around? And I like this question based on last night alone. Yeah. From what we, from what we saw from uh, Bill Davis's crew. Well, it was the snap. You'll remember it was, I believe it was third and five. It was either third and four or third and five where Barwin was called for offsides and it was first down. First of all, I don't think that that was offsides. I think he was like, unless they called, unless they thought he was lined up in the neutral zone and he was lined up kind of wide as like a nine technique. So you know, it was kind of tough to tell. But I was watching it on because I'm here at Novacare watching right. in the TV copy. I thought he was offsides right away. I watching when I I couldn't. It, it was close, but I didn't think he. And you know, it's a bang bang play. Yeah, uh, it is what it is. But that formation was very very interesting because you had you had Brandon Graham over the center. You had. Barwin out wide. You had, uh, I believe it was Jordan Hicks on the other side out wide, rushing against the right tackle. And then you had Vinnie Curry and Fletcher Cox standing up inside with Tomiko standing up inside. And Vinnie Curry looped around Fletcher Cox. And it, there was all kinds of movement up front. It was very, very interesting because uh, you're putting your, your outside linebackers inside. You're putting your defensive lineman standing up in two-point stance. Your defensive end is lined up in a, as a zero technique. It was very interesting formation. And it's interesting that the Eagles can now afford to do more of that because the guys are so much more comfortable in this system as compared to where they were last year or the year before when, when Bill Davis first came in. So even though you have a lot of new faces coming in, and I think it was Chip Kelly you talked about, or it may have been Bill Davis last night, but that front seven, aside from really Jordan Hicks, they've all been together for an extended period of time, so they can get a little exotic with their looks, and, and I think you might see more of that moving forward. Well, I think it also helps with the back-end performance Sure. And you say, all right, well, all these guys are new. Walter Thurman, very smart football player. They paired him together with Malcolm Jenkins quite nicely. Chip Kelly, very effusive in his praise of the safety duo back there. So I think, you know, the combination on the back end and the performance they had on Monday night is allowing the defense up front to do more of the exotic looks, to be able to stem and do different things where, you know, you can. And I guess it's also with the fact that if you're not going to blitz, you got to come up with creative ways to try to trick the offense and a smart quarterback like Eli Manning. Eli Manning, you know, we heard about with Drew Brees how he has the entire playbook at his disposal at the line of scrimmage. It's the same thing with Eli Manning. So I think it was just good creative use of, of the talent that they had. So, uh, fellas, I think that's going to do it for us. I like that question the most. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. So, Swagworthy? Uh, I, I'm like all three. All three. Oh, yeah, very nice. I'm feeling generous. Like I, said, I'm feeling, I thought we were. I thought we were. Uh, I thought we were picking. No, 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 no. I had about five or six here, but those were the three best ones I want to go with so uh, there we go I hear it in the headset this week <laughs> yeah see Mac had no clue what was happening <laughs> last week Fran's just over there dancing and you know pumping his fist <laughs> see Mac didn't know what was going on it's a big one Thursday night <laughs> taking on the Pirates of ECU you know what's good though is that they're going even though they're ranked and ECU's not ranked they're going on the road and they are underdogs so 
Temple's ranked. Temple is ranked. Oh yeah, Temple's ranked twenty-two in in one poll and twenty-four. Oh, 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 They're ranked, oh, ahead, yeah. ranked ahead of Georgia, I should say. You know, I, look, it's a, it's a big game. They can't they can't let up against East Carolina, a team that they beat here at Lincoln Financial Field a year ago. Oh my God, ranked. it's the Fordham fight song. Oh. To the fray. Oh come on. How about that? Everybody ten in the country. <laughs> FCS football. Everybody, listen up. The Fordham Rams, top ten. <laughs> What's the name of that running back? The second Chase ranked? Edmonds. <laughs> Behind only Leonard Fournette in the country for most rushing yards in college football, <laughs> Chase Edmonds. Hey. While doing play-by-play, play, would you sing the song? Uh, it was actually like the start of all of our broadcasts. Like, <laughs> so like, oh, we're live from Jack Coffee Field, and like this is playing. Then it would play at the end, like, welcome to the one-on-one post-game show. <laughs> and it was like, just this, and it, I think it was like this version from like <laughs> 1912. Like the old Fordham pep band. The Rose Hill Rascals just playing this song. Oh, that was a good one. It's a good touch. Oh, that was great. How about College game day is coming to Lincoln Financial. I was going to mention, uh, or that's, is that happening? Or they're they got to say, they got to take care of business what? Thursday night. If they take care of business Thursday night, I think college game day is going to be at Temple. I mean, it could be the undefeated Owls yeah. and the one loss fighting Irish. Oh, yeah. Wow. No love lost between those two teams either. <laughs> I don't know. I forget the last time they played. I just love seeing Fran do the TU uh, <laughs> dance in his chair. There is a, a video on YouTube of uh, people on old folks' home doing the whip and the nene, and it kind of reminded me of that. <laughs> wow. 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 <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> it's a good thing this is an audio podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Chris Stevens. His arm's back. Oh. I will say that Temple, Temple has a very good thing. Oh, it's a great it's fight, Paul. Well, remember, we're from Philadelphia. We fight. That's right. So thank you very much for downloading and listening to this edition of the Eagles Entire Podcast. I would imagine anyone that's still listening is a Fordham or Temple grad. Probably. Probably. Probably no Drexel well, grads listening. Well, it's my mom. <laughs> for Fran Duffy and Alex Smith, I'm Chris McPherson. Thanks for joining us. We will be back next week.